Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan. Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We're going to dissect the Champions and Challenge Cup finals and we're having a chat with a couple of Englishmen who were right at the heart of the action on a weekend dominated by the French. Montpellier fly half Alex Zazowski and Champions Cup final referee Luke Pierce are joining us. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Before we get started, we've got our first live show in over a year lined up for next month at the Clapham Grand. Due to a double booking though, we've had to move that date to the 23rd of June. It is sold out, but keep an eye on dice.fm for any return tickets. And you can also add your name to the waiting list. The other bit of good news is that for the first time ever, we'll be streaming our live show to all our fans all around the world. So if you've never been to a live show or can't make it down to London and wondered what all the fuss is about, you can get your ticket from dice.fm by searching the rugby pod. Streaming or streaking? We can do both. Absolutely not. Jim, I go back to one of our early live shows when you, for some reason, decided to chop a few pints with your top off. and I don't remember people that. just. People just walked out of the room. They were like, how the hell was he an enforcer? Yeah. I don't remember that. I do Arms not like spaghetti. That. Was it? How was he ever an enforcer on a rugby field? He couldn't enforce your way out of a wet paper bag, mate. Either way, I'll, I'll do that again. I'm probably, <laughs> arguably, in worse shape than I've ever been in. Uh, no, I'm actually all right. But if it means I'm out the house, at a live show, 23rd of June, streaking, streaming, drinking. I can't even wait, lads. I can't wait. Well, I have, have spoken to the production company, though, and I did say, do not sell any tickets to anyone called Beck Hamilton or anyone called Carolyn Wrist because then <laughs> life could be over for us, eh, James? <laughs> exactly. Very true. And deny, deny. If something comes up and we're streaking while streaming, um, I'm just denying it was me and I wasn't there. <laughs> but a good weekend with your other halves, boys, or are you uh, out in the pubs already? Well, we've gone out for dinner on Saturday night, haven't we? I've hit the G&Ts, boys. Gin and elderflower. You think you're flying, don't you? So I've gone, I'll have the biggest steak. I'll have the porterhouse steak. You'll have the gout steak. The what steak? <laughs> yeah, the porterhouse. The one kilo, medium rare, lovely touch. What time is this, Andrew? What time are you having a kilo steak? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was about probably 9.30, 10 o'clock by the time I was sweating on it. So. <laughs> Mate, your um, digestive been... system is working overdrive for 24 hours after. No wonder you feel that, but it's nothing to do with the gin. Is it not? Well, this is the thing. So I've been working hard and... 
you know, going to the gym and I've been watching what I eat with my tweak meals. And then I just go out on Saturday night and I'm like, no, I'm having, yeah, I'm having a starter. I'm having a steak. I get the biggest fucking steak on my plate. I'm having loads of GNT. I'm having three puddings as well. Just We're loving life. three thinking. Marlboros. You are a binger. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've woken up Sunday morning. The kids have woken up early. There's no nanny. I'm like, I felt like I played a game of rugby on Saturday. My body was in bits just from going out for a few uh, with the missus and a couple of mates. And geez, my God. And I've Googled how many calories in a one kilo porterhouse steak. Just chuck, chuck a number out there. What do you reckon? 350. I'm good at this game. 350 calories. Well, it depends. Did you, did, did you eat the bone and the fat or not? I didn't eat the bone, Jim, but I did eat the fat, of course. <laughs> okay, well, well if, you, if you ate the fat as well, then I'm going to go 650. 650. Okay, well, I googled uh, how many calories in a one kilogram porterhouse steak, and it came to 2,400. No, Andrew, that's with the sauce. <laughs> that's with the sauce and the pint of salt that you poured on it, and the three tubs of chips. And I saw the tubs of chips on the side as well. So empty, let's they? get specifics here. They were both empty, and the mayonnaise pint as well that was next to it. So, yeah, it was. Um, I had a shock to the system Sunday morning when I woke up. Me and Rebecca went out Thursday night. Hold on, Rebecca is it? James and Rebecca got dressed up, and the first line when I sat down for dinner at half eight, it could have been even quarter to nine once the kids were settled, was, Beck, I'm bollocksed. <laughs> that was my first line. And she's like, why do you need to be so negative on our first night out in nearly a year? I was like, I'm sorry. I couldn't stop fucking yawning at the table. <laughs> I had a glass of red wine and my eyes rang out my head. I had the twins all day Thursday while she was working and... I feel bad now. On reflection, I feel bad because she was buzzing for it, right? She she couldn't wait to get out with James. I was doled up, had the dust in the air. I looked around 45, 50, arguably. And I've got this like long, smart jacket that I've been wearing on the TV. You might have seen it. No word of a lie. I've seen myself before I've walked out the door and I've just thought, Dorman. I look like a fucking dorman here. <laughs> but I was that tired that I didn't change it. So the lights were dimmed anyway, and uh, we were owned by half 10, 11, and I was absolutely <laughs> hanging. So I owe one. But I had some other stuff happening over the weekend, which was, it boosted the adrenaline. It kind of brought me back out, Michelle. It was just two athletes sat together talking. I was with Hamish Watson. I was doing a photo shoot for his hat company, his clothes company, that I thought, right, I thought was called Rex Hunt, which th- then I thought when I said it, and they kept saying, why do you keep calling it Rex Hunt? I then thought, my God, I'm calling it the name of a porn star. No, it's Rex Hunt Fishing, isn't it? It's a fisherman. It's a fisherman. <laughs> Rex Hunt Fishing Adventures, yeah. So I'm calling it Rex Hunt the whole time, thinking I've done it wrong, I've called it a porn star, but it turns out to be a fisherman. It's probably the same thing, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but I was with Hamish at the weekend, which was nice. Just, you know, just two guys, testosterone-fueled, like, Energy, you, you, you know what's like, Andrew? You know, when you're about 23, 24, and you were full of testosterone and kind of energy and all them kind of normal things that go around a young pup, a young alpha's body. That's, that was me and Hamish at the weekend. Hamish was there, like you mentioned on the podcast. He was there when we launched, Andrew, with the rabbit storeroom. He was there, and he's he still to this day, he said to me, quote, unquote, I still have nightmares, Jim, after that. <laughs> I said, well, mate, we've made it now. We've made it on Spotify, so I don't. I just have – I can sleep well at night knowing that I'm thankful for that day up in the mountains. Well, there were some athletes on show over the weekend. One of them was on the sideline right from early days in, in the game. What do you guys make of the, in the, the red card in the Champions Cup final? I, I mean, he was well off the pace, unfortunately for him, and – 
you know, listening to the build-up and obviously in commentary and after, I think he trained 20 minutes, uh, you know, during the week since the semi-final. He dropped a few, didn't he? And it is hard. His, t- his timing was off, wasn't it? It's like, so he dropped one, he overran a line. Like he did, not that he was the weak link, but we all wanted to see him play. Let's put that out there. Would have I picked him if I was the coach? Yes. I would have even picked him if he didn't have 20 minutes. He was that good. And we spoke about it last week, didn't we? Saying that if he plays, La Rochelle have got, an unbelievable chance of winning. And I agree, in hindsight, having watched the game back, mate, La Rochelle sh- should have won that game anyway. Like, like really, without Bottier. And I, I don't, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll go into details about the game. But um, yeah, absolute 100% red card. It was obviously a yellow card for him not retreating from the quick tap initially. Um, and then, I mean, two or three inches same as his timing in the game was just slightly out and uh yeah how do you live that one down i'm sure he'll get over it and and come back better well, should i tell you the crazy thing about it you, you watch it and it's a shuddering hit isn't it bone shuddering like you're watching it you're like oh fuck it that is yeah i i i, I, didn't, I, I, I wouldn't have <laughs> he didn't even flinch but medard plays on and then they take him off a couple of minutes later this is what the french do mate the physios are on there with a the knobs hanging out the top of the masks <laughs> they're the only physio they are the only physios in the Heineken Champions Cup that come onto the field like that. They are light years behind in them kind of things. Don't have your mask hanging half on, half off and leave a player on there that has been absolutely smoked. At what point are you thinking? Well, you, they're not thinking. And <laughs> we've we got to state the obvious. You're right. Like you, You've called for it a few times when... It happens when a player gets a shot to the head and stays down and not just in in, in the, the French leagues or in the Heineken Champions Cup, it's happened in the Prem as well. But um, you're right. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about they're so far behind, but there they are, European champions. The French club are European champions. A French club are Challenge Cup champions as well. So they're so far behind in some things, but so far ahead in others as well, aren't they? Goody, you said you weren't too sure about Ehi West leading into the game. What do you make of his performance? Jim said it himself. He said it, he felt La Rochelle probably should have won that game. And, and, and you know, it boiled down really to fine margins. Yes, Bottier gets sent off. So people who go, well, La Rochelle, they're up against it when Bottier got sent off. But Ehi West missed three kicks at goal. Roman Untermack doesn't miss any. You know, you lose by five points. You, know, you, you talk about big swings in the game. La Rochelle were on top in, at the start of the second half. Uh, and they were 12-9 up. He misses a real simple, I say real simple, because I always used to say no kick was easy, but he misses a penalty five or 10 minutes into that second half when Larochelle were on the front foot. They'd obviously come out pumped after, you know, having a, a kind of debrief at halftime around what to do without Bottier. And their power game is phenomenal. You then go 12-6 up if you get that. So that changes the, the complexion slightly. But it boils back down to, you know, you go to the... The conversion when they scored the try and it was Kerbalo that scored it towards the end. Pretty simple conversion that he missed. That changes the the way that Toulouse know they can then defend because if he slots that, it's a three-point ball game um, and there was still six or seven minutes left to play, wasn't there? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to blame him, but, you know, when you one goal kick has kicked, I think Roman Untermatt kicked seven out of seven and Ehi West, I think, has kicked four out of seven and you lose by five, you know, and two of them were pretty straightforward. One thing I will say, my God, every breakdown... Oh, my whistle. Yeah. I mean, got, hammer, got on hammering. <laughs> well, and, and rightly so, I thought he had a really good game, Luke Pierce, and, and we'll chat to him in a bit. His French was brilliant. You know, make no bones about it. But the way he was talking in French and the detail for an English bloke, I thought was phenomenal. 
but the break every breakdown is an absolute shit fight, and there was you could have given loads of penalty more penalties away than he actually did. Um, I thought he handled it really well. But how French was it of Toulouse, or how Toulouse was it of Toulouse? My Mate, word, you got the best player in the world at the minute in Anton Dupont. Passes it back to Roman Untermack with five or six seconds left, and he's trying to run in a circle to see the clock. He's off. running to find his dad. He's running, <laughs> running, running out the back trying to see where his dad is. <laughs> he just wants the ski goggles, doesn't he? I mean, my uh, imagine throwing a game away like that. Talent, I've got no doubt there, head and shoulders above a lot of other countries at the minute. But geez, just fundamentals of how to win a game. It was phenomenal to see that. How good were the ski goggles, though? That was my favourite part of all of it. Let's be honest, the game weren't amazing, really. <laughs> it just gets better and better every year. It's all, And again, we go to Twitter because that is our platform of life. That is my CV. That is who I am, is my Twitter handle, at Jim Hamilton for War. <laughs> I tweeted the picture of it. How ballsy is it to be like, right, I got my boots, I got my gum shields, I got my Marlboro lights... I tell you what, I'm going to fucking sneak my ski goggles, ski goggles in the bag. I'm going to sneak my ski goggles in the bag as well because we're going to win this and I'm going to whip these out in the changing room to protect my eyes from getting sprayed on. And while I do it, I am going to look cool as shit yeah. when I've got them on. What a picture. Yeah. So is it arrogant? Is it classy? I don't really know, but either way, it's legendary. Mate, there's a few of them as well, wasn't there? Because Charlie Farmerwina had them on as well. He didn't look quite as cool. And his one as Peter Aki did in his, but mate, I mean the other thing, I lo- the other thing I loved about it. What about Joe Takori just walking around with a corner flag? He's the biggest human being, apart from Will Skelton, probably the biggest human being on the field, and he's just walking around carrying the corner flag. It Who's just taking pr- it off him? <laughs> no one. Have any of you guys ever taken a souvenir from a game? I've done a couple of weird things. So after. I think it was the lesser one in 2006 where I was a bit of a mongrel. I scored a try. I don't know if I've ever said that against Sale. And we obviously lost the game. I think we got a loser's medal. Oh, I presume we did. I don't know where it is. And then I'd seen something the week before where, you know, these footballers, when they run onto the pitch and they pick up the grass and they and they do it and then they do the, um, do, do the cross and stuff like that. So I've never done any of that. But I felt compelled after that final to eat a bit of grass after I scored in that final in 2006. You what? Yeah, I ate a bit of the grass, yeah. <laughs> Genuinely. Did you bend down and eat it? Or did you like? Did you rip the grass up and put it in your mouth? Or did you like bend over and eat like a goat? No, no, I wasn't he's, eating he's like you eating goat, cat food in he New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am a goat. I am a goat. He ain't a goat, mate. <laughs> well, you see these iconic images, don't you? Of like, you know, like iconic sportsmen where they're down on one knee. They're in that vulnerable position. That's what I had in my mind, how like, you know, if someone was to take a picture, they had Jim Hamilton wearing the number 19 shirt, having just scored in the final, down on one knee. And I just I just felt compelled to pick up a bit of grass and just, you know, taste the loss. Do you know what I mean? Taste what defeat is really like. And I think that that's what it was. But I was obviously a mongrel mob back then. I was obviously a young pretender. But fast forward, lads, to the success of winning the Premiership with that turnover against Exeter. One thing that I've never mentioned before, but arguably having sacked them all and got the turnover, won the game for Saracens. I robbed the match ball. Gee. It's in the garden, bold as an egg. Like, you can, if, 
I'm, I'm like, I get the kids. I'm like, kids, come on, do you want to play a bit of ruggers? None of them can catch the ball. It's like a bar of soap. I'm like, come on. This is when we played in the Premiership final in 2015. So, yeah, they're my two bits of memorabilia. Eating grass and uh, stealing the match. Well, not stealing the match ball. I fucking deserve that. You did, son. That was a hell of a turn. I was commentating on that game and uh, I, I was very impressed, Jim. But uh, you, you learned throughout your career, didn't you? Because we've seen pictures over the weekend of celebrations, trophy lifts. There ain't anyone better in the game. There's no one better in the world of rugby than position themselves right in the middle with limited impact on the on the result but maximum exposure than Jim Hamilton the John Terry of rugby union well as the legacy goes like the you know the, let's go back to the goggle pictures again these goggle pictures are the ones that are going to be on the wall no one's remembering anything else no one's remembering the the whistle going on throughout the game no one's remembering the knock-ons no one's remember Chess and Colby being in touch they are remembering that guy Aki with his goggles on, getting sprayed in the face. That's it. <laughs> Just going back to the game, were you guys surprised at how well La Rochelle did and staying in the game after being reduced to 14 men? I was. I, I mean... Really? Yeah, I was. You know, having lost their star player. So when you look... And, and I, again, I tweeted it. I said that that's, it's game over for La Rochelle now. But they still could have won that game. And if mm. they had 15 players, I think they would have won. Their forward yeah. pack... Their driving line out, their ability um, off nine and, and their carries around there, phenomenal. You know, they lost the Challenge Cup final. Now they've lost the, the Champions Cup final. They'll be back. And at some point, you harness that hurt. It's taken every team that's won it a few times, you know, a few losses and a few tough results along the way to get to that point, And it makes it all the sweeter. And Toulouse might stick around for a while yet as well. Anton Dupont, named European Player of the Year and stood out again, didn't he? Oh, good. Apart yeah. from when Big Big Willie, Little Willie literally nearly threw him into the ground, uh, underneath the ground, into the centre of the earth. Uh, that was the one time I've seen Anton Dupont look like he was scared. But my goodness <laughs> You mate. would be though, wouldn't you? Oh, I wouldn't, know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but, brilliant player. Yeah. Brilliant player. He was quite quiet. He was quiet at the weekend, but brilliant player. You've got him, Cheson Colby, you know, and I've heard whispers of Cheson Colby going back to South Africa. Um, to the Natal Sharks. Hopefully that isn't true and it is just a rumour. But, you know, with him and Tomac uh, being the two young halfbacks, the big thing will be around the forwards, won't it, what they'll do. Jerome Kano, obviously, is retiring at the end of the season. Joe Takori, 38 years old. My God, he don't look a day past 48. <laughs> you know, and they're a big team, aren't they? And they spoke about it. They got questioned about it after, didn't they, in terms of the hoodoo of the the old Toulouse team that was so successful. That was huge for them. And it wasn't a great game, uh, but it was a final in itself. And I'll just say one other thing as well, mentioning DuPont, but Untermac, how good is that picture going around of him being lifted on his shoulders with his dad? And then did you see the picture of him with his dad on his shoulders? Oh, no, I didn't see that. Mate, so have a look at it on social media. You talk about life like it's just amazing to see we obviously saw the picture of Anton Dupont with Johnny Wilkinson um after a Toulon match before a Toulon match um a few years ago and then you just see it all come back round so the Intermac family there's another picture to be added to the wall of uh Roman holding Emil well it might have been an all French Champions Cup final but there was an Englishman making history in the middle of it we can have a chat now with the youngest referee in European Cup final history Luke Pierce how are you mate Bonjour, How are you, Luke Sava, Mon Ami, Trebian, Bon Fatigay. Bonsoir, bonsoir to l'équipe. Mate, I, I mean, your French was phenomenal at the weekend. It wasn't well, like, um, a, for, Jim, yeah. 
Melee. <laughs> Melee. <laughs> Your French is abysmal, Jim, but honestly, I was genuinely, and I speak a fair bit of French, I was gobsmacked at how good it was. You've obviously been putting the yards in. Yeah, look, it's come on. I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near where I want to be really with it, but uh, we were lucky enough years ago when I started, which feels, well, it is a decade ago, it was 11 years ago when I started at the RFU, when things were a little bit better than they were in the current state of play. We had enough enough budget to, for French lessons. So I did a couple of years um, just learning a bits and pieces with, with a really good teacher in Twickenham. And then since the lockdown, I thought I'll just give it a good whirl and see how we get on. And the joy of being an English ref is we spend so much time over in France that I think it's just another another string to your bow if you can give it a go, that's all. So Luke, with that, I'm sure there's a natural anxiety with being a young referee in a final but it being a final, but then when you see that there's two French teams and I know that you'll know the stuff around um, the pressure on referees to be able to speak French, I found it difficult and Andrew belittled me a little bit there. I was fluent by the end. I'm telling you now, I was fluent <laughs> by the end, but you're under a lot of pressure anyway, right? As in, in terms of just the game itself, it, was there an extra added anxiety going into that game knowing that you've got two French teams, but also... I know it sounds pretty stupid, but two very French teams in terms of the makeup of their players. Yeah, like, I guess so. Like, I, I really enjoy refereeing the French teams. You, we get so accustomed to refereeing the Premiership, you get to know a lot of the players, and there's a bit of over familiarity at times because you know you referee the same teams time and time again. So, refereeing in France, I think, is brilliant. I think it's um, it, you know it reminds me of, of rugby when I first started. At times, it's so physical. You know, look, look at the game on Saturday and, and the breakdown was just, you know, was brutal from minute zero to 80. But it definitely um, get, it helps me because I, I find that I can have a better dialogue and a better rapport with captains. I mean, it, it amazes me, you know, we, we assume that everyone in France speaks decent English um, and it's potentially a little bit arrogant of us because even, you know, world's great players like Dupont and, um, you know the 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 La Rochelle captain Roman. They, you know they can they can get by, but they probably speak as good as English as I speak French. So it just adds it just adds to that ability to communicate with them. As you both know, like we're not perfect and we're not going to get everything right. But if we can talk and have a decent rapport and style with players, it goes a long way to explaining certain things. And I think the public and the teams, and especially French teams, understand that rather than just trying to blag it and speak English as much as you can. We've seen some of the celebrations around the Toulouse boys um, and some previous celebrations, but it was a massive game for you, uh, yourself, being the youngest ever referee in the Champions Cup final, but also your very first Champions Cup final that you get to referee. Set the scene, where are you? Because it looks like a lovely place you've got there. I mean, you must be on some decent wages with a pad like that, mate. What's, where are you? No, it's not. It's a choice of a credit card, mate. Um, it's, my <laughs> wife's, it's my wife's birthday today, so we've actually escaped down to Padstow for the night. Um, left my little daughter with with her nan, so... Yeah, it's quite nice to get away. Um, it was a great day Saturday. Like we, with crowds back, I managed to get my, my parents, um, my wife and, and some friends up to Twickenham to watch a game. And then we just went for a few beers in Richmond afterwards. It was just, you know, just great to have a bit of normality, really. But it just takes a little time to sink in. Like that's my first proper cup final, really. And you just get so built up for it that it just takes you a day or two to come back down as well. Um, alongside a stinking hangover and a three-hour drive home yesterday. It just takes a little, <laughs> just takes a little time to recover. Did you bring your goggles or not? I mean, let's get to it. Did you bring your snorkeling goggles? I know the referees. Barnsley was there and he likes getting loose. He slowed down a little bit. He has slowed down a bit. I saw him on the touchline. He looks slower than normal, but was there any goggle action or not? 
No, there wasn't. And to be fair, like one thing that the boys are really good at, and it was, like, we, we even made like reference to it. Barnsley's been there and done it. He's got the t-shirt from every single tournament in the world. You know, he's been, I've been running touch room and carrying his bags for the last 10 years. But we make sure that even on the big events that everyone kind of makes an effort to, to be a bit social as well. In our job, we can be a bit weird. You know, it's kind of strange characters that all get put into the mix together and to have a few beers and celebrate after is, is awesome. And, and Barnsley was definitely supporting me just during the game and, and immediately afterwards as well. Yeah, I thought it worked really well. And it was a, you know, I know I've messaged you privately, but it was a damn hard game from a viewer's point of view to referee because, you know, and I've said it on here before and I, you know, I can't put you in a position where I'm going to ask you to talk about French referees, but I am. I'm just going to say it. The French refs don't referee the breakdown and you have to deal with it in a Champions Cup final. They were expecting a French referee, right? I think the balance is really hard. And I, you know, there's a lot of um, media focus and rightly so at the moment on, are we getting the balance right between continuity and getting a decent game going or actually refereeing and doing our job, what we're there to do and refereeing stuff. And Saturday was no different. And you probably heard a bit of my frustration and wasn't overly professional when I told both players in 35 minutes that this game should be better, but it's, it's trying to get that balance. And are we there yet? We're probably not. Um, and it is a French thing and it is an English thing. You know, like I'm sure that when I refereed Leicester Quinns last week, that teams switch on a bit quicker and they may try and change because they possibly know me a bit better as well. But the French teams, whether they whether they saw that as a bit of a, a challenge and said, you know what, we'll, we'll change him rather than the other way around perhaps. And it's a cup final. Like the starting back row on Saturday were, were immense, massive, big blokes, just intent on slowing down everything, intent on trying to get every single turnover they could. So you don't want to take that out of the game, but perhaps, you know, it's just different styles, isn't it? And it's how you try and get that change without making a you know ruining a game which is which always conscious of yeah and i think one thing you always hear about the referees after you don't want the game to be about you we spoke to jp door before and one thing you don't want it to be is a talking point after the game and there's been some huge decisions uh, and some tough decisions and some right decisions over the last 18 months around red cards and yellow cards there seems to be a shift in the mentality of the referees now where you don't want to red card players. It seems like you're trying to do everything not not to do that. Obviously, at the weekend with Levani Bottia's red card, there was no question about his red card. There was no question whatsoever on uh, Maxim Maydard. But is it a difficult one going into the game knowing that you're going to have to make some of these big decisions? It, 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 speak about the anxiety, but ultimately, you've got to make the biggest calls on the biggest stage and know that you're going to be accountable for that after but I suppose the red card at the weekend it was it was uh it wasn't even one in question no it's always it's been a massive shift isn't it and it's been probably the biggest change in refereeing since the whole invent of the TMO really we've had a huge shift to make sure the game is trying to be safer and it's like anything Jim like when anything new, new comes in it takes a little while to bed in and I think you're right we went a bit gung-ho when it first came out and we weren't looking at the full picture. We didn't quite have um, the context of how we wanted to apply stuff, but we've worked through it. And I think we're now at a stage where, and we're always aware, red cards potentially ruin a game, potentially change the whole outcome of the match. So if you're going to give a red card, you need to make sure that you're, you're about right as possible and you're hoping there's not much debate. So, you know, over the last probably six months, there's been far more guidance from World Rugby as well. We've now got a decent structure where we're, discussing things as international refs pretty much once a month with, and we're seeing clips from, you know, Super Rugby, we're seeing clips from Premiership Europe, not just isolated incidents. And then also you bring that together with the team you're working with. And I don't want to, you know, blow smoke up the boys' asses on the weekend, but when you're working with lads you know well, 
they know you inside out. So they know when you're up against it. They know when you need input. And you just look at that red card of Bottiers on Saturday. Nobody wants a red card in Champions Cup final. Of course they don't. And I, be honest, I didn't even see it live. When it happened, I heard the crowd go nuts a little bit, which I haven't heard for a long time. But I actually binned him for, for taking a tap and getting tackled yeah. in two metres. I was unaware of that, that he hit him so hard in, into the head. And it was lucky that Tom Foley, who I spend a lot of time with, said to me, mate, hang on, you, you haven't seen this. You need another look at it. So it doesn't just come down to how we're dealing with it. It just comes down to, I think, like anything new, working through it, trying to get the best possible processes in place and making sure that you've got good people around you to know when you've missed something big that you need to know and stick it on the screen. Because what we didn't want to do and in a cup final, there'll always be a debate in there. There'll always be stuff that happens where people will say, well, could have been that, could have been this. And maybe that's just something that I've got to get more accustomed to in these in these bigger games if I want to be involved with them. You know, it's it's a constant questioning of decisions. And that's just part of the job now. But I hope we're making strides and making the game safer. I think we are. And I think that we're making these red cards decisions more understandable. Um, and you can see it in our faces sometimes when we don't want to have to make decisions. But we're now making yards that players know where they stand, which is a massive. The crowd and supporters know where they stand. So when we're giving these red cards, it doesn't come as a surprise, which perhaps it was nine months ago. And you mentioned debatable decisions earlier. The, the one big thing that's kind of come out after Ron Nogara did the interview after the game, he said that he felt there should have been a penalty at the end. I've watched it back probably 20 times. I can't see a penalty. What's your comments on that? Because it must be difficult for a ref when you hear that. I'm sure you'd have gone back and checked it yourself. I can't see a penalty there. Are you um, you're confident with your decision there? Yeah, I, I get Roland's frustration when they've had a red card given against their team and then they've come back, you know, for the third quarter, it was pretty much all to lose. And then the last 10 minutes, La Rochelle, you know, came back and really got back into the game. Then I understand coaches, players are going to be looking for any kind of advantage they can get. Um, clearly we didn't see an offence on the day. Otherwise I'd have blown my whistle and given one. So you just sometimes got to, got to wear these and it's, it's just part of the job, isn't it? I, one of the fair points that Ronan made, and he was the first person to come and shake our hand after the game before the trophy presentation and said, thanks very much. And one thing that I like that we've got at the moment in rugby is that, and I know the, the bullshit phrases, you know, we often say our oh, respect and everything else, but we actually have got that back in the game now. I, I like the fact he can say what he wants and he can say how he feels on telly. But then he comes up and he'll tell me straight exactly that as well. I'll shake my hand and say, well, other than that, mate, I thought you did a good job. But I got, I got no qualms and no problems with that at all. Um, I'd much rather it that way than be all friendly in front of our faces and then and then different behind our back. And I hope, you know, we've got that back now in, in rugby and, and most coaches are similar to that as well. I know, well, I know, Goody, we've spoken about it as well, but now to have an opinion, it doesn't matter. It's the way that you go about it. I mean, part of that opinion as well, and we've all spoken about it, there's been a big, obviously, um, initiative, not just BT Sport around this kind of online hate. How hard is it being a referee and being on social media? I don't know whether the millions will know that you're on social media, but how difficult is it for you after a game, right? And you'll know when you've had a good game or a bad game, and probably like the players, right? You'll naturally pick it up or I don't know if you do I suppose that's my question do you pick up your phone and have a look what the interaction is or is there a, a switch and it says just just don't I'm using my social media for a different reason I'm not going on there to see what the opinion is so I used to I'll be I won't lie like we used to come off, come off games and years gone by and be so conscious of what everyone else is saying about the performance as I've got a bit older um, and, and been involved in more of those bigger games I've realised that that's not really important immediately afterwards. To me, I've spent all week trying to prep my team to perform and help me out on the pitch that I actually deserve to give them a bit of time back. And 
one thing that we always try and build in, and I nicked it off Barnsley, I won't, I won't lie. We go back in the change room. There is no phone for, for half an hour, 45 minutes. We'll sit down, we'll have a few beers. We'll chat through the big stuff that's happened. And in the shower, we'll go, right, that's what we need to look at. And as the dust settles, of course, you pick your phone up and you have a look. Um, and one of the things that I actually said to my old man when I got back to Exeter yesterday was, in, in these big games, you're not going to please everyone. You're going to get a lot of praise and you're going to get a lot of shit. That's the, that's the, nature, of the, the nature of the job. But if you don't want it, you don't have to be on it. And that's just one of the things you have to accept. Like I'm on social media because I, I enjoy using it. I'm like a lot of other people, you get a lot of things from it, but if people want to send you messages that aren't so pleasant, that's just the nature of the beast. And as hard as it is to read them, of course it is. It's not very pleasant when you're reading people want bad things to happen to you and your family. It's got to be a pretty sad day where you're getting that built up about rugby that you're sending messages like that. So hopefully I never, I never enter into that kind of world. How bad has it got for you on social media as far as like fans having a crack at you? Uh, I don't know because I've never really compared it with anyone else. Um, I probably, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 messages that weren't very pleasant. But then... As, as in direct messages? Absolutely, direct messages. Yeah, from various people. Um, but that's, you know, when you're thinking, and it's not justifying, never justify that. It's absolute nonsense, isn't it? And I think we'd all agree. But... Rugby now is huge. Like it's watched by millions and millions of people. So if it's only 30 people out of the millions watching, then that's part of life. And one thing that's great now is that we've got that public opinion, I think, in everyone in the banging the same drum to try and get rid of it. And it's just, you know, it's just one of those things, isn't it? You can't let it affect you. Why, if you let it affect you, I wouldn't be in a job and I wouldn't be in Padstow on a Monday night going for dinner. It's just one of those things, isn't it? You just got to, you just got to ride it. And hopefully that those people will learn, you know, learn a lesson in the future. Yeah. I mean, one part of the critique that you might listen to is family members. Now, usually when you chat to your old man or old school people from the game, it's like, you know, the game's gone soft or, you know, you should have done this right. Like, why didn't you do that? I didn't know that your dad was a premiership referee as well. Is that right? I mean, what kind of stuff does he say to you after? Top bloke as well, isn't he? He ran such in the premiership. Um, And that's part of the reason I started years and years ago. Like, I had nowhere else to go as a kid because mum worked on a Saturday. So I'd have to go and go with him up to the old ground at Coventry when there a few times. Um, and then, I, you know, just to watch him blow his whistle. So I, that's how I got into the world of refing. But it's always good because he will always, um, you know, not just having a few pints after on a Saturday, but on when I came back to Exeter, he, he's my number one fan, but he also gets it as well. And he, as soon as I came off on Saturday in, in Richmond, he said, oh, not sure about that one. Not sure about that decision, you know, because <laughs> he's watching it as a normal person as well. Yeah. And, Sometimes, sometimes as refs, we can get a little bit too narrow-minded and we get so involved in refereeing nausey bits and pieces, we lose a bit of perspective on what people are actually talking about. And it's just great to have that kind of reality check when I get home. Has he still got the great tash as well, the old boy? Still rocking the tash. Like, he actually took the tash off a few years ago and he looked pretty poorly. So <laughs> we, um, we, actually, we actually made him get it back on. Tashes are back in. Luke, before you go as well, um, what's, the play, what's the play here? What's the plan? Because... Mate, you're getting bigger and bigger. Look at you, like you're getting bigger and bigger and leaner and leaner. Now, what is the plan here? Because you're 33, you're coming into your prime, you're trying to be in better shape than most of the players out there. Good tan, good Great guns. arms, great arms. I'm not going to do a Carl Dixon and say we're fitter than the players when he's when he first started <laughs> wrestling because that, <laughs> that went down really well and we're definitely not. Um, now, we've got a pretty good trainer at Twickenham um, and she makes sure that we're, you know, we're put through our paces pretty much every week. I've managed to get a day off tomorrow. The boys are all in training hard at 10 o'clock tomorrow. 
So whilst I'm having my breakfast down here, I'll be um, I'll be thinking of Barnsley trucking up and down the green at Twickenham. But it's part of the job, isn't it? The game's so quick now. If you're carrying a few pounds, like, you know, when I came back from the World Cup in Japan, I was definitely a couple of kilos heavier and lockdown came at a good time to jump on the bike. And the tan actually comes from riding the bike out in the garden and trying to escape dinner times at home. So uh, yeah, I get, get a lot of shit for the old tan, but uh, hopefully it remains. It's confidence. When, you, when you're in decent shape, you're happy to go in the garden with the tops off and get a tan. I'm not at that stage yet. Goody, I don't want to speak for you. I don't think you've ever been at that stage, but there's hope. <laughs> Why are you being horrible? Why are you being horrible? Um, one of the last thing we'll ask you then, and we ask all the referees that this kind of question, I hate to say it, your nickname um, that the referees gave you or someone else get Tom Daly. It's a great nickname, uh, not a lookalike at all. But um, any others that you want to stitch up boys with? Any of the refs? Have they got any decent nicknames that you, you're you happy oh, to out them in public? Barnsley's breath really. or anything like that. Has he got horrific breath? Or- Luke's top of the tree now, mate. He's got to be, you know, <laughs> he can't undermine people now because it's like, they could take it to heart. No, to be fair, Christoph gets a lot of flack because no matter how much sunbathe he does, he remains permanently whiter than, whiter than a sheep. So yeah. he's uh, he's often in there, but no, not really. No, they're, a, they're a great bunch. And if, if anything, and this is not, you know, just being a bit sick of fancy about the boss, but one thing that Spreaders has done and Ed Morrison all those years ago, which we refereed you boys, they soon realised that refing isn't a, a one-man job um, and it's not a one-person job. So brought together some decent people. And I hope that that's recognised actually like in the premiership that, yeah, we'll get a load of shit. We'll get a load of flack. We'll get a load of mistakes. People were very passionate about their team's sport, which makes the premiership great. But actually, we try our best to do a pretty good job in the premiership. And that's represented then hopefully in Europe and then internationally. Um, and then we, you know, hopefully we get to the premiership final whenever that is in June. And we'll be have a few beers in the car park and celebrate as a team as well. So Spreader's got to take a lot of, got our credit for that and bringing the right kind of people together to make sure that we can give it as good as crack as possible and, and get as little criticism as possible. All I heard then is Barnsley's got bad breath. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, Me thank too. you very much for coming on the show, mate. Uh, well done on the weekend and best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks very much. Cheers, lads. See you soon. Cheers, Luke. Cheers, Enjoy Luke. the Have birthday, one, mate. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Top bloke. Top lad. Yeah, he, is. he really is. He really is. And um, yeah, what about that? He's it's it's missed his birthday and he'd rather come on the podcast. I mean, what a ledge. He actually said to me when we were messaging that, can we do it in a studio so he doesn't have to go? So he said, can he come with <laughs> No, he didn't. No. I mean, how good to be able to have him on. He was obviously in the middle of it all at the weekend. I think he gave us loads there, didn't he, in terms yeah. of what it's like to be a ref and... You know, Andrew, you go hard at the referees. I just respect all of them, Matt. I just, I've always respected referees. They always make the right decisions. But he is one of the best now. And yeah. um, I was going to say he's got, obviously, an amazing future. But he's he's in it now, isn't he? And uh, to have him on and be able to talk about that. I tell you, 
this online hate stuff, right? I don't know whether, like, I'm not blind to it because I get a bit of shit and it's like, well, come and get me then. That's what I say, but I don't write back anymore. But 20 to 30 messages after a game. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, you wouldn't do it in the street. Oh, I've had it. I've had it in the street, Andrew. After we played Scotland, um, England, Scotland, it was like 23 nil. I don't even for England though. Was this well, England in the 20s? Wait, arguably, I might have been playing for England. That's what the, that's what the <laughs> Scottish fans thought. But I think it was like something like 28 nil. So it was a close game, under 50, we were out. And I remember um, I went incognito because my word, I was getting mobbed, obviously, back then. So some of the, most of the lads wanted to go out in their suits. There was two reasons. One was incognito. The other one was that it, we should have had a pants pulled down. There were skid marks everywhere. And I've walked into a bar wearing me leather, and it was black leather jacket, so I weren't trying to stand out. Getting absolutely mobbed, weren't I? And then this fan and his mate, so two fans, there could have been 10 of them, they had like Scotland face paint, and it all strung down their face. They got the kilts on like that. And he looks at me square in the face, and he's like, you're a fucking embarrassment, mate. Like that, like square in the face. I mean, he was, was probably he, was right. from Manchester? Yeah, well, he was. He was a Mancunian Scotland, Scotsman, <laughs> okay. yeah, which is basically the same thing now. I mean, it's north enough to be Scottish. And I said to him, I was like, mate, like, what, what? He said, you're fucking English. You're English as well. Like that, he started abusing me. So next thing, you know, who can argue? Everything he said was, <laughs> I don't know why I was horrible to him. He was right. I might, have threw, I might have threw the F-bomb out, walked outside. Everyone's got the camera phones out. It's one of them that would have went viral on YouTube or Twitter or whatever. But um, he, had the, he had the, well, he didn't have the balls because I saw him with his kilt up and he didn't have many. But um, <laughs> he, he, he had the bollocks to call me out face to face. But this is the horrible world. I know there's been all this initiatives around this online stuff. It ain't going to change. Like, as much, you know, we can have blackouts. We can be calling people out. I'm telling you now, and again, I know we're going off on a tangent. Unless these social media agencies and government do something, it ain't stopping. And let's have a chat about the Challenge Cup as well, the final, because your old club, Leicester, they were close to lifting the trophy at Twickenham for the first time in a while, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And you, you know, you listen to Tom Young saying he's very proud of the lads, and you know, it's you know an upward trajectory from here. I, I think there'll be a lot of frustration still because it was there to be won. The dominance they had, and you can pick out a few things in the game, the dominance they had at driving line out, it just reminded me of the A-team on a Monday night when Jim Hamilton was... Against Newcastle away, yeah. That driving line out was phenomenal, wasn't it? But what they didn't do was capitalise enough on it. So it was pure dominance. There was boys in the bin. You know, yes, they scored a try, but they didn't... It wasn't two or three tries. They There was opportunities to kick penalties at goal that I thought, in a final, you take your points. And so there, there, there will be... A lot of heart, but also a bit of frustration because European finals, whatever they are, whether it's Challenge or Champions Cup, they don't come around that often for any club. The positives are what you just said. Around the line-out drive, the physicality, Jasper Visa is a phenomenon for them. Um, and it's great to see Leicester back in a final. So they're all the positives. The negatives about it is is that they didn't have anything else, did they? That was kind of it. They had the driving line-out game, the physicality, Jasper Visa when he carries, and kickers of balls. And that's where Wigglesworth is obviously class. He's added a completely different dimension to Leicester in terms of managing the game. But then you look outside of that and it looks like they can't score tries. That's what it looks like. They can't take them, them opportunities. So they, my point being is there's still a lot of growth that needs to happen in that squad. I think the frustrating thing for Leicester would be they should have won it. There was a bit of magic for Houston's try that they create. But they on the, the balance of the game, Leicester should have won that and won it 
fairly comfortably for me. You know, I question some of the substitutions. You know, you're in a cup final. You know, you don't just make substitutions. You, know, you see in the Premiership, you see players, you know, taken off after 15 minutes because there's other games and, you know, you've got, to, it's a cup final. If you don't need to make substitutions, don't, you know, for injury or, you know, there's a player out on their feet. I didn't see any of that from from the boys that came off. You know, Nandolo, they didn't get him into the game enough. And, and you look at the game managers for that. The frustrating thing for me was they had a penalty, 17, 18 down they were. So it's about 62 minutes. They got a penalty from the 10 metre line and they've gone to the corner. But they haven't gone to the corner. They've gone about 13 or 14 metres out. George Ford, kick the goal, put your team back in front in a cup final. These are the differences that in a premiership game, it, it might not matter as much because potentially there's more opportunities because there's less on the line because it's not a cup final. But in a cup final, you've got a penalty and it's from the 10-metre line and it's well within your range. It's not even a question of, I ain't got the range for this. Take the three points, pal, and put your team ahead and then say to Montpellier, you've got to go and score now to to win the game. And, th- and then when you are 18-17 down with you know eight minutes to go, we just kept kicking the leather off it. Did you say we? Well, I wanted Leicester oh, to yeah. win. 100% wanted Leicester to win over Montpellier. And I played 10 years at the club. I can only blame one person though. And that's Eddie Jones. He was there before the game, did an interview on BT Sport, and he said, yeah, mate, I come to watch the year. The fullback, didn't even name check it, didn't even know his name. Freddie Stewart. But he didn't say his name, did he? No, he's he like, didn't oh, know the, it, the, I don't the, think. He, he thought the, his name was Stuart, maybe. Yeah, the young fullback. What a, yeah, him, mate. And then I think George Ford must have seen Eddie's there, and he just thought, I've got to do what I do for England, just fucking boot the leather off it. 24-7. So I'll blame Eddie Jones. But yeah, we should shout just... out, Andrew, that Freddie Stewart is a good player. Um, Phenomenal. Really, he's going to play for... He got turned over a few times, though, didn't he, off counter-attack. Like, he did all the hard work taking the high balls. My word, he's a rangy 15. I'm telling yeah. you now, he's going to play for England, that lad. I, I think he'll play for England this summer. But then, yeah, I just think the last eight minutes when you're behind, and uh, the weather wasn't even that bad at that point. Yeah, I think the rain had stopped and I get the ball's greasy. Go and try and win it. We're just, we were just kicking it. Leicester were just kicking it and hoping that a, a, an error was going to come from Montpellier. They, were, they had loads of ball around the halfway line. Just play ball in hand. Just, you know. And like Jim said, there was no creativity outside. Well, we can have a chat now with one of the key figures for Montpellier and that win over Leicester. Fly half Alex Lozowski joins us. How are you, mate? Good, thank you. How are you? Loza, we're, we're, we're all good, mate. Dusty or not, I mean, have you got bloodshot eyes or did you have the goggles on at the weekend as well? <laughs> uh, we had a good weekend, to be fair. Um, actually, in France, last week was the first the first day last week on Wednesday um, that everything's open again. So first time since September. So um, quite a good timing to have come back having... Uh, Want to find and yeah, we've uh, had a good few days since then. Yeah, lovely. Well, talk us through it then, because obviously Friday night game. You, I presume, you stayed in London Friday night, or did they get you the private jet back? We were we were on a chartered flight, but we waited till uh, Saturday morning to come back. So um, that gave us a nice chance to have a few beers in the hotel. Didn't get much sleep. Uh, caught a bit of kip on the plane home, and then um, straight to the beach. One of the beach clubs, Jim might know it, FA Mare. Remember that one, Jim? It was called Carl Mare. I mean, I don't know whether that was after the owner called Carl. I doubt it. Or it was just after, <laughs> I got the yeah. pronunciation wrong. But you know, it's, that sort of felt like a, sort of what I felt like I signed up for when I decided to come. You know, barbecue, a few beers down on the beach, pretty awesome. And then, uh, yeah. Sunday at like a little box park just down the road, uh, bank holiday weekend. So nice and busy and uh, yeah, always loved it. Yeah, we'll come on to that, Loza. Let's let's just rewind a little bit. Maybe we'll go 12 months-ish. So with everything that happened at Saracens and then some of you boys obviously going out on loan, some got the dream ticket 
to go to Bristol. People would think that arguably you would have the dream ticket as well, going to the south of France. I've played at Montpellier. Uh, it was a tough club for me when I was there. The Culturally, uh, it was a very, very French club. But how has that been for you also in a year of COVID where you've not been able to get out there in the mix? You've not been able to go to Saint-Tropez and all these lovely kind of add-ons that you'd get, uh, arguably signing for a, a club in the south of France? Yeah, of course. I suppose when I decided to come here, I was hoping and thinking and I suppose expecting that, um, you know, the pandemic situation would be much, much better, much quicker. And in fact, when I did arrive here in June, it was all sort of life as normal, really. And I'd left the UK, which was locked down and arrived in France and it was all open. And I was at the beach and wherever. I was like, this is awesome. And then got to September, um, full lockdown, uh, 6 p.m. curfew, you know, so not great. And, you know, obviously lucky to go and be able to play rugby and train and spend time with uh, the boys, unlike a lot of people. But still, I think, uh, as you say, there's so much to, that France has to offer. And um, to not have been able to experience that has been disappointing. But that's been that way for everyone. When you were at the beach bar and you've got the Challenge Cup, and I know that we've been there, Alex, we've had the Heineken Champions Cup, we've had the big one, okay, but a lot's changed in this last year, as we know. Was there a point where you're like, actually... I could get used to this or am I going to get back to North London and if the lads don't get promoted, go to Cov, <laughs> go to Ealing, go to these places or I could stay in Montpellier on the beach bars. Is there a part of you? Because it was a tough start for you, right? Not just off the pitch, but actually on the pitch as well. Um, I don't know whether they signed you as a 10-12 or whatever and I only saw after the game around the criticism that you had personally. I wasn't aware of any of that. I just presumed it was all going all right. And obviously you boys making the final, but is there a part of you that thinks you've cracked it now and a small part of you that be like, actually, I could stay here? Well, I saw one headline which said that, um, someone said that I was the worst foreign signing in Montpellier history, which I thought can't be true because it would surely be Jim. <laughs> <laughs> it, that is very true. I'm happy to put my name to that. I am happy <laughs> to say, Loz, did anyone say anything or not? Has anyone said anything? No, no, to, no, no one said anything. But um, I think there was a bit of uh, hyperbole in that. But um, no, to, you know, to be fair, um, the start of the season what didn't go all sort of plain sailing, really. Um, I suppose I was signed uh, to play, as I guess, as a utility back in the sense that I can play in a few positions or whatever, and they, I just play where I could fit in. And then um, the injury to Pollard was, uh, you know, obviously a, a big injury, a long injury, which was a disaster really for the team and sort of then um, turned my season from being one where I might play a handful of games at 10 to actually, you know, potentially have to try and direct a French a team in French. You know, I don't speak much French. Um, and I guess it wasn't really what I was hoping for in that sense. Um, so yeah, it was difficult and, you know, myself, uh, the team, other players on the team came in for a lot of criticism with the way the results went. But, you know, we, we changed a few things, changed the way we were trying to play, um, simplified things, started playing much better in the top 14, um, got a few wins, obviously had the run in the, in, the, in the Challenge Cup. And yeah, you know, I suppose, like you say, when I was on the beach there and looking around and good weather, barbecue, a few beers... You know, that, it probably felt like that was, you know, maybe maybe the image I had in my head when I uh, decided to come to Montpellier. So you're staying or you're coming back? That's what we want to know. <laughs> no, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I think, um, as I said, with, with, with the way uh, it's been this year with the pandemic and everything, not being able to have anyone over to see me at all and not being able to get back and see the family, friends, missus, anything like that. So, um, you know, I think I'll, I'll be going back. I will definitely be going back. And uh, But one more year left at Surrey's and then, uh, yeah. 
we'll see what the future holds. People forget about the injuries to Pollard and, and other players and the transition there from Garbajosa leaving to Philippe Saint-André sticking the old tracksuit on, although it is a triple XL tracksuit now because he's he's put a bit of timber on since he last coached. We've had Philippe on the pod and he's a great bloke. He, oh, he is. He, yeah. he, he must be someone that you've enjoyed working with since he's put the tracksuit on. Proper old school, um, but gets it from both sides of the channel, I suppose. Definitely. And, uh, you know, Philippe has been great with me ever since I arrived. He's the bloke that first rang me to get me to come over. He's brought the enjoyment back in uh, with the boys. Like you say, he's a, he's a bit old school and he's taken a bit of the pressure off and wants the, the training ground to be a place where there's people that like, smiles on faces, that that type of thing. So and that's definitely, you can then definitely see that in the way we play. So, um, you know, Philippe and Olivier Azam, Jean-Baptiste Delassar, they deserve a lot of credit for the way that um, they've, as I said, simplified things for us. And it's, it's then freed us up to, you know, go and actually just get stuck in and which whereas before we were probably a little bit tentative because there was a lot going on and we were thinking about where we needed to be and it was all just a bit complicated. You know, I think one of the boys said uh, after the final that at the start of the season, he's never known so many good players to all be playing so badly in one team at the same time. And, uh, you know, we turned it around a little bit and we've won a final, so... I don't know if you saw Scotland in 2008. There was a load of greats <laughs> playing in there. <laughs> we didn't win a game. <laughs> we didn't win a game. Um, lots of interest that you mentioned about... It happens. Um, it happens. Yeah, it, it does. It definitely does, mate. Well, the backs were absolutely shocking. If you were in the team, mate, we could have won a Grand Slam. But you t- it was interesting watching the game at the weekend, actually, because you think French teams, big packs, physical... Um, and a little bit of flair in the backs and a little bit loose. But actually, it was a little bit the kind of opposite. Leicester were on top of the pack. They Let's be honest, they mortgaged to the cow sheds and back. I don't know what you were thinking about that. So you find yourself in a final up against Leicester, who are probably one of the form teams in the Premiership now, especially where they've come from. Um, Jasper Visa, obviously a star player for them. And the big man himself, uh, you, put a huge shot on him. Um, but how did you see the game? Because it did seem like Leicester, well, it didn't seem, it was. Leicester were fully on top and in control up front. Definitely, yeah. I mean, the drive, the driving line out they got going was a massive problem for us. And I suppose probably in hindsight, uh, our forwards would probably admit that they were a bit shocked by it. And, you know, they weren't expecting them to be that strong in that area. And it was a shock and they got caught cold a little bit. Um and then after that, I think, you know, as you say, they've got, they've got uh, guys like Visa who, uh, who with the ball can do a lot of damage, Namani as well. Um, but I think in the end, well, we were quite surprised at how much they kicked away, kicked the ball away. Um, you know, they didn't hold on to the ball for too long or really challenge our defence uh, away from the driving line out too much. Um, so we were a bit surprised by that. But having said that, you know, I think, um, you know, having had none of the ball really, not a lot of territory, to won that game, we've we've done we've done quite well. But I think, as you say, looking at Leicester um, and what Steve's done with them, especially with some of the younger players coming through, um, like uh, Dan Dan Kelly in midfield and uh, Freddie Stewart at the back, both had fantastic seasons. Um, who, and also may not have been that well known to many people before the season. You know, I think those kind of guys have done really well, and it's great to see them sort of playing and playing well and um, being rewarded for, for that, yeah. Loza, did you say anything to Jasper Visa when you hit him? Did you say, take that punk or anything like that? Because <laughs> no, uh, he's got it in him to do that. Once he starts putting shots, my mate, chicken ball, John Welsh, when he dislocated his shoulder and they were fist bumping after, I was like, once someone takes a shot on him, and I know he's only got three teeth or something, so he looks hard as nails. But when you hit him, did you say, take that punk? Well, or I not? think, you know, if you get start getting a bit too uh, cocky or whatever, there's only, you're only one 
one time away from being, as I said, being put on your backside. So um, things can change quickly. And uh, yeah, maybe I need to up my, uh, my my trash talk a little bit. Jim, not everyone's like you, mate, just chatting shit on, well, 24-7, to be honest. When we were at Saracens, me and Kelly Brown absolutely obliterated Monopola and literally... I stood up and said, you've just been smashed by Bramleton. I swear to God, <laughs> quote, unquote, you've just been Bramleton. And Kelly oh was pissing God. himself. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's just banter. How much of it was you, though? And how much was it was it with Kelly? Well, genuinely, I think Kelly uh, took the anchor. I, I put him back about four or five metres. From what I remember, it might have looked very different, Loza, from where you were stood. But he got, either way, he got Bramleton. He got hit by both of us. You two obviously know each other pretty well. The celebrations over the, the last few days, Loz, is there anyone on the Montpellier team that reminds you of Jim Hamilton, just the clown that's trying to get in the middle of all the pictures and everything like that. And was there an Alex Goode that was fully kitted out um, for uh, the whole three days? There wasn't either, actually, to be fair. There, there wasn't anyone in kit. Uh, There's a few shocking outfits uh, that were, were seen on Saturday. Jim, yeah, Jim, yeah. But, um, you know, the French, they uh, they enjoyed a bit of red wine, which is a bit of a surprise, uh, on a on a... On a Sort of on a piss up, which wouldn't be for wouldn't be for many of us, I don't think. But um, bring your knife and fork, mate. Straw pedos, straw pedo, a bottle of rouge. There was a, there was some nice steak knocking about, which maybe maybe uh, sort of you know it was part of the getting the taste buds going. But um, we stayed up pretty late on on Friday night. There was some there was some sore heads on Saturday down at the beach. As I said, it was awesome, amazing food, bit of music, and like I said, the first time that we've been able to do it for so long. So, um, you know, the boys didn't hold back. And uh, as having had such a tricky season with results, um, it was great to, to enjoy it, let, let our hair down a little bit, enjoy it. Uh, but no, there wasn't anyone uh, doing a gym with his full kit dominating the, the very front and centre of the, the team photo, which uh, <laughs> obviously will go down in history and be remembered by everyone. John Terry, be, it, that's it, what I'm it's saying. It's one of the smartest marketing tools I've ever used in my life. <laughs> no regrets. Um, no regrets. As, hashtag no regrets. Uh, tell me about Mohad Altra. Did he come in with 45 Rolex watches to the lads as a bonus or not? I mean, or was it just... I mean, l- let's put it out there. I think he's a lovely bloke. Now, I know there's kind of mixed reviews around him, but his backstory, uh, being an orphan and, and, and moving to France and the investment that he's put in, not just to Montpellier, but the game, that would have been huge for him, right? Because there's been so many changes, not just from when I was there and Vern Cotter and King Prawn Gambaretta, however you say his name, and obviously now. Like, to win a Challenge Cup off the season that you've had, did he say anything? Cause he's quite an emotional guy. Yeah, I mean, he, um, you know, likes to have a word with us before the game and just tell us that um, he's behind us and supporting us and yeah obviously he's put a lot in and cares so much about the team cares so much about the club cares so much about uh, the region as well so um, you know to have, to have given back to him uh, given back to people who care about Montpellier that is that is that is huge after some of the defeats that we've suffered this season you know I think you know if I'm honest I'm sure he mowed for what he wants probably is most of all is the top 14 that's um the sort of the holy grail in France, and um, you know the Challenge Cup's great, but I think uh, you know if we're honest, that's what that's what Montpellier really, really wants. So um, I think that's going to be the mission going forward now. Yeah, they got to a final a couple of years ago, and Jim keeps mentioning the fact that he played at Montpellier. Any of the lads mentioned Jim at all from his days there? Is it everyone just remembers him dearly for his amazing efforts, or not? I'd not love so much? to say I'd love to say that they've asked me about you, Jim, but I. They have. Well, I, I went out in a place of glory. I did French lessons there, right? French lessons. I couldn't speak a word of French. 
by the end of it, I was multilingual in Spanish as well. I don't know how that got filtered <laughs> into the vocabulary. I didn't realise into my last couple of months, the lads were calling me, or well, Fufu, the, the captain, was calling me the Grand Poulet. Now, I thought the oh, yeah. Grand Poulet <laughs> meant like the big legend or, you know, the big tower or the big beacon. Little did I know when we got to the food section of the French lessons on the last three or four months, did I realise that poulet means chicken. Yeah. So <laughs> they were calling me the ground. They were basically bullying me in French. Yeah, poulet is like one of the first words you learn in French, no? Well, I'd, yeah, but I thought it was, it was the way they said it. They said it so fast. It was like grand poulet, like, as in like big legend. Like that's what I thought it was. So I basically got bullied there. So hopefully I've just left. I left in a blaze of glory. My last memory was Rennie Ranger walking out to training in his slippers, smoking a cigarette. And I was like, this is me. I'm out of here, lads. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't mind the, they don't mind the dart over here, um, which I've been roped, roped into once or twice and shoved in my... That's actually, that's one of the, one thing that amazed me, actually. The first social we had, uh, we went up to um, the mountains for pre-season uh, training camp. At the end of the uh, camp, at the end of the week, we had a social. You know, normally whoever organises it, you know, back at English clubs or whatever, they're on their list of things to get is obviously food, basically piss, and that's pretty much it, really. But, um, you know, we turn up, there's all the food in, on one table, all the beers, all the brandy, all the whatever on one table, and then just like eight massive slabs of cigarettes, like big, big <laughs> Sign slab. me up. Sign me up. <laughs> um, which is sort of, you know, they're provided, you know. Um, culture. Who wants them. So um, it's part of the culture. And, uh, you know, I've tried my best to, um, you know, get involved with, with as much as I can. But yeah, luckily didn't have too many camels that night because they... Um, they're strong. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I keep messaging Philippe to say sign me up as some kicking coach or something just for the just for the fags, basically. It'd be, it'd be brilliant. <laughs> oh, we, could, we could do a bit of that, to be fair. Yeah. Um, Loza, before you go then, uh, I don't know if you saw Sarri's close game at the weekend against Kov. Um, it was touch and go for large parts of that game. But it's obviously a tough year for the lads down in there. You're due to go back, like you said, for a year. Are you excited to go back? I mean... The club's going to look very different from when you left for a number of reasons. Obviously, Alex Sanderson is now at sale. You know, Ben Earl and Max Malins, I'm sure that they'll come back into the mixer as well. And it's probably been beneficial for Saris playing in the championship in a COVID year and taking away the profile of that. But have you been in touch with the lads? I know Goody's gone back as well. Yeah. Are you looking forward to getting back? Yeah, of course. I've spoken to the lads a lot. Being locked down, um, spent probably a bit too much time on the PlayStation, chatting away to Baz and DT and uh Rhodesy and all those kinds of guys so um you know I'm looking forward to getting back looking forward to seeing them as you say it's going to be different but I think that is exciting you know it's going to be a new chapter for us and um you know we're gonna to have to see where we can take it um and I, you know I suppose now coming back into the premiership other teams have um you know I guess taken our place as the you know what we were we were the top team and teams like Bristol and Exeter now people would probably have them ahead of us so um, we, we're the ones chasing them down and um, you know we'll see how they get on being the, the, the front runners and um, yeah we'll hopefully go about our business quietly and just um, see if we can uh, get hold of them Alright Alex well thank you very much for coming on the show congratulations and best of luck for the rest of the season in France No worries cheers Cheers mate Chat to you guys soon Cheers buddy Top lad Top bloke yeah he really is actually um, I remember when he came through at, at Wasps so I, I went on a golf trip with his old man in 2002 and when Loz signed for 
wasps we were chatting about it he goes i just don't want to know what my old man got up to on that trip i was like no you do not son no you do not but he, <laughs> he's a, he, he was a he's a great lad Lars. he's you know talent wise he's phenomenal you know he yeah. can play 10 12 13 he can probably play every position in the back line you could pick him at scrum half if you wanted as well um he can certainly play 10 to 15 in any position and do it very well so um yeah, great to see him get some silverware, some not redemption, but it's been a tough year and it's always nice to finish that way. And hopefully he'll come back to Saracens, maybe get a shot with England again uh, and see where his career takes him. But I think the way he's finished at Montpellier, he'll definitely get a, a gig back out there. If well, I was just to. happy to see him smash Jasper Visa. And after what Jasper Visa did to my mate Chicken Ball, um, yeah, let's just say that he stood over him and said, take that punk. You're talking about Saracens there, and he's obviously coming back to Saracens, and then you start reeling off the names that are coming back there. Malins, Earl, Lazowski, Alex Gude. Talk to me about the salary cap again, Jim. Speak to Bristol. Speak to Bristol. <laughs> we shall see. Right, let's finish things off for the good, the bad, and the ugly. A few bits of good. There was very few games of ruggers on this weekend, and we'll start off away from the actual pitch, but on the pitch, but off the pitch. Eat out to eat out, don't eat out to eat out. The Six Nations TV deal, Jim. Finally, seems like it's being sorted uh, and staying to free-to-air TV. Agreement in principle has been reached with the Six Nations, the BBC and ITV. So hopefully... Speak to my agent, is all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, Andrew. Hopefully we'll see more of Big Jim Hamilton saying Sir Cliff Woodward. And Sir Johnny. Yeah, and Sir Johnny. Um, Which is great for all the fans across the globe really that want to watch it on free to air TV. Hopefully they can get rid of Brian Moore from BBC. (laughs) 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 Meow. But great news that the Six Nations TV deal hopefully is being finalised. What else is good? Andy Rowe, we're going to go over to you guys over in New Zealand. Not you. And finally, finally, you you Kiwis, you All Blacks, you New Zealanders, you're giving a little bit back, aren't you boys? What's happened? You're giving a bit back to the islands that you've been taking all their players off them for years and years because you've announced tests against Tonga and Fiji. At last. At last, this summer. So uh, I think there's a game against Tonga and two tests against Fiji. Um, So giving a bit back to the islands that you've been nicking all the players off for absolutely donkey's years. So... um, and I think it's basically down to the fact that France are playing Australia, Ireland are playing someone at Japan, there's the British and Irish. So basically there's no one else is, is what I'm saying. But at least you've said we're going to play Tonga and Fiji for two tests. So uh, well done to everyone in New Zealand. Uh, and then let's go back to European Ruggers because that was where it was at this weekend. Montpellier, their second Challenge Cup title in six years. They've qualified for the Champions Cup next year after a tough season. So massive shout out to Philippe Saint-Andre, uh, Alex Lazowski and co for the victory. But the good this week can only go to one place. Obviously, it is Toulouse, but loads of things Saracens. to talk about. Oh, I thought you were going to say Saracens putting 80 points on Cov. Sorry, go on. Oh dear. I mean, honestly, really, who cares about that? Uh, but anyway, Toulouse, 22-17 winners and now the five times champions. Uh, Juan Cruz, Malia's try uh, was a bit of a worldie at times. Uh, Anton Dupont being named European Player of the Year to Joe Takori with the corner flag and the celebrations. Just the ski goggle champagne spray. Um, it looked like a hell of an atmosphere. Uh, Toulouse, phenomenal achievement to win it for the fifth time. They get the good this week. It's all downhill, lads, from here. Get it? Hangovers. Yeah, and they're going down the hill skiing. Yeah, nice. Obviously, hangover. Yeah. Nice, Jim. Well done. Uh, The bad, few bits of bad uh, this weekend. Uh, We'll start off in France. Why not? Uh, Agen. We've mentioned them so many times in the bad, but I was going to say they had their pants pulled down after losing 49-3 to Bordeaux. 
at home at the weekend, but they ain't got any pants left to pull down because they've played 24 games this year in the top 14 and lost 24 games in the top 14. I mean, how bad? How, how bad are you, kids? I'll be honest, Andrew, I haven't seen it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't watch uh, it. No, no, nor did I. But play 24, lost 24, Ajahn, absolutely shocking. So you get mentioned the bad. Australian super rugby teams, you're getting a mention again. Played five, lost five again this weekend to the Kiwis. Uh, the Waratahs have equaled their worst ever losing run of 10 games. So the current tally on the log is all the New Zealand teams, 10 wins. All the Australian teams, zero wins in two weeks. No, I mean, not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad, no. Horrific. Um, but unfortunately, the bad news this week uh, goes to an ex-teammate of mine. I say ex-teammate. We didn't actually get to play together, but we were at the same club at London Irish. Uh, it's some bad news, actually. Theo Brophy clues. Uh, has had to retire at the tender age of 24 from concussion. Uh, he was a real tidy player, played at 10 and 12. So really sad to see him having to retire so early in the game and have his career cut short. Um, it was really sad news for him and his family because he had massive potential, uh, not only at London Irish, but potentially internationally as well. So um, massive shout out to Theo. It's bad news that he's having to retire, but he's putting his health and well-being at the forefront and just can't play the game anymore. So uh, thoughts with him and all his family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the ugly, only one bit of ugly really, obviously, and uh, it's a monstrous hit from Fiji. Uh, Levani Bottia's hit on Maxime Medard, the first ever player to be sent off in a Champions Cup final. Not a great look. Some power behind that tackle, but very dangerous. So Levani Bottia, you get the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, I've got a couple, Andy Rowe. Big shout-out to Gerrant. Davis, uh, he's part of the Rugby Pass team. He does the fan zone stuff uh, for us as well. But he's departing Great Yarmouth on the 28th of May. And he's embarking on a 450-mile biking and rugby coaching challenge, which finishes in Swansea five days later. He's coaching loads of the minis and juniors and seniors along the way. And it's all to raise money for Brain Tumor Research and My Name's Doddy Foundation. So big shout out, mate. And uh, we wish you well on that. So the other one goes to James White. Um, he's messaged me on Instagram. But yeah, he's got a challenge on Friday called the 4448 Challenge. He's running four miles every four hours for 48 hours. He's doing this to raise money for Lucy Air Ambulance, a charity that helped his family out in their hours of need. Two years ago, his sister-in-law gave birth nine weeks early in Plymouth, over 300 miles away from the family home in Leeds. After the amazing work by the doctors and nurses in Plymouth, the mum and baby were well enough to travel home to continue their care, but the ambulance trip would have been too long and difficult for baby Charlie. So the Lucy Air Ambulance stepped in, organised flights, the nurses, they all flew up to Leeds. Now Charlie's two years old and doing really well. So if you want to get behind James White. He's put himself as a Yarbury captain. He, look, and the Otley RFC hero. He's obviously loves himself, like my good self. But nonetheless, a very good cause. Go to justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash James White 75. So big shout out to you, James, and your family. And of course, the Lucy Air Ambulance, Andrew. There we go. Good man, James. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Scooty. Thanks, Producer Tim. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you head on over to Spotify, subscribe, and we'll see you there. Rugby Spot. Spotted Pod, Pod, Pod. Uh-huh.